Welcome to this episode of Standard Chartered's Industries in Transition, a holistic look at the challenges, triumphs and lessons learned as businesses drive change to build a sustainable future. Hello and welcome to this episode of Industries in Transition. In this series, we hear how leaders in their field are pairing urgent problems with practical solutions in the quest for net zero. Well, this instalment focuses on the urgent need for cities in Asia in particular to fast track their green plans. Well, why are we doing this? Well, we've been prompted by our Cities at Risk series. This is a series that ranks the world's more than 500 urban centres based on their exposure to a range of environmental and climate-related threats. A huge number of them, 99 of the world's 100 riskier cities, are in Asia, and that includes 37 in China and 43 in India. So this isn't just a problem for Asia, it's a problem for the world. Let's figure out how this problem gets solved. Joining me on the panel today, we have Shikhar Jain. He's Global Head of Power, Utilities and Infrastructure at Standard Chartered. Uh, Shikhar, lovely to meet you. And first of all, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what you do? Thanks for having me, Manisha. I run power utilities and infrastructure sector coverage for Standard Chartered Bank. That includes four different subsectors. First is around conventional power utilities and energy-related infrastructure. The second would be around transport infrastructure. Third is around digital infrastructure. And fourth is around emerging infrastructure sectors. Now, all of these are very relevant as we talk about sustainable infrastructure in urban areas. I guess that's why I'm here, because this topic is very passionate for me. And as more and more population migrates towards urban centers, it becomes a lot more critical that we resolve this challenge as soon as possible. Well, we'll be discussing some of those issues just up ahead. Before we do, let me introduce the second of our guests. NG CEO, Energy Solutions, APAC and Country Head for Southeast Asia, Toma Bodlo. Toma, hello, lovely to meet you. Tell us a little bit more about NG for those in the world who haven't actually heard of it or know what you do. Thanks for having me, Manisha. It's a pleasure to be with you today. NG, for those who don't know, is a utility. We come from the traditional IPP world and we have completely refocused our position and our purpose to do our business in a decarbonized way. We are now helping as well our clients, corporates and cities to do the same thing. So. My job in a nutshell is to help my clients to consume less energy and a greener energy. And very quickly, how do you know Shikhar? We've been working for a long time together. I reached Southeast Asia in 2015 and, and Shikhar was instrumental in one of our first deals to uh, expand our presence in Southeast Asia. In fact, a lot of the, of the business we're doing today comes from these first business opportunities. It provided us with a base of skills and manpower to help uh, be on site uh, of our clients and um, control in a more efficient way their assets which then on allows us to, you know, deliver this carbon slashing I was mentioning. Ah, so a very important relationship. A long story. <laughs> Thomas, too kind. <laughs> All right, well, I think that you're going to have a chance to share some of the, the great things that have actually come out of that relationship as well in the conversation. But let's get into it. Shikhar, I want to actually start with you because I think that's a really alarming figure that I shared. 99 of the riskiest 100 cities are in Asia. So then the question is, what's the common factor here? Well, Manisha, what we need to understand is that most of these cities are located in the large countries of India, China, and a few are scattered around Southeast Asia. 
most of these countries, China, India, Indonesia, have had significant growth in the last decade plus. So a 20-year CAGR, for example, for GDP growth in real terms for China would be somewhere around 9%. India, probably 6 Indonesia, around 5 And that compares to a U.S. real GDP growth rate of maybe CAGR of 2% and UK of only 1%. So there has been a tremendous amount of growth that has come through these countries. And unfortunately, not all of them was planned in the most sustainable way. In order for most of this growth to come forth, all of these countries needed a tremendous amount of electricity. And a lot of that electricity today comes from coal-based power. A lot of them are already transitioning. But today, we still have this problem that we need to resolve. Yeah, it sounds to me like the problem with reactive planning rather than proactive planning, doesn't it? Thomas, can you give us some examples of some of the specific challenges in some of these cities? Maybe you've got some examples of specific locations where the problems are quite acute. I would like to strengthen the trends that are at stake. You know, if you look at the 2050 horizon, it's about 65% of the population who will live in urban areas. So uh, our cities are growing, getting denser. It's not only a, a problem of solving the current carbon footprint and the emission that we face, is how to absorb the growth. More than that, as Shekhar rightfully pointed out, the, the more people live in urban areas, the more they will consume energy and that will put an immense stress on our energy system. And the business as usual, approach is not sustainable. If we were to continue cooling our cities like we have done until now, or not plan better uh, transportation options, things will become unsustainable. The positive aspect of things is that if we start planning well, uh, there are really synergies to derive from uh, using a more dense way of living. You have mature technologies, mature infrastructure, like district cooling, for example, who can be leveraged on to um, provide air conditioning to large cities or precincts that can make a huge difference. And that's why you see countries like Singapore starting to embed such uh, technology at design stage. All those greenfield, new developments getting uh, to leverage those infrastructure for a, a more sober use of energy. Shikha, let's talk about some of the other issues that I know you believe are the infrastructure needs of big cities. Let's say that municipalities had a more proactive approach to planning. What would you tell them to work on? When we talk about planning and the questions around municipality, the one trend that has not completely played out yet is around energy efficiency. Moving away from fossil fuels towards green production of energy, renewables, hydrogen, that will go a long way. We need to ensure that we are using it in the most efficient way possible. When you talk about cities, the first thing that comes to your mind is around transportation, how people getting around. Mass rapid transit is one of the key planning initiatives that I believe a lot of governments can look into. Now, that initiative, just on a broad basis, I would say is one of the most efficient transport means today for large passenger groups and freight. That's one part of it. The other part is actually ensuring that all these mass rapid transit conveyance is electrified. 
With those two parts, I think there could be a huge difference. Even as of today, on a per passenger kilometer basis, MRTs use 12 times less energy than your average cars and aircrafts, and 7 to 12x less emissions. Singapore has done very well on these metrics. However, there are large countries where this has still not played out. But this can go a long way in actually helping our cities become more sustainable and approaching towards net zero. Yeah, up ahead, we can talk a little bit more about why this hasn't necessarily played out. But as I recall, I think you had a couple of other factors that you think we really need to focus on as we look ahead. I do want to talk about the bureaucracy, but I think that's going to be a longer conversation. (laughs) Uh, But what were some of those other things that you've been thinking about that you would recommend there is a focus on? As we talk about modern urban economy, there has been a significant focus around digital infrastructure and localization of data. As more and more data gets localized, we are seeing a strong trend of growth in data centers, new data centers being built across Asia and even globally. Asia, obviously, the growth rate is expected to be much higher. Now, one key consideration is that when these are being built, we should be building more what we call green data centers, which are a lot more sustainable, both in terms of energy efficiency, water usage, waste recycling. And I'm glad to say that most of the hyperscalers in the world already have large sustainable targets around that and are driving the change. Going a little bit back to the policy that each country is implementing, if we can focus a little bit more around ensuring that data centers that are being built, which are a key part of global economy and modern economy, are certified green, that will go a long way. And one of the key reasons I keep going back to it is because they are immense users of energy. It's all about green energy and efficient energy usage of that green energy. Yeah, it's a holistic approach, actually, making sure that you attack this on all the spokes of the wheel. Thomas, I know that you spoke a lot about cooling earlier, but how do you get all of those dots to connect? Because it does lean into what Shikhar was just saying there. It's one thing if you have a mass rapid transit system, you have a great cooling system, but you've got to make sure that you also have investment that goes into renewables and fewer fossil fuels. How do you connect the dots? We are in a very interesting era where those solutions around green energy production, low carbon infrastructure, efficient energy usage, they all translate into an interesting economic value proposition. In other words, when it's planned properly, it's a win for the developer who invests in such infrastructure, but it's also a win for the end users that sees, first of all, its utility bill decrease. And nowadays, with the volatility we're experiencing, it's really a plus. But it's also, um, with some solutions like solar, a way to provide a fixed and hedged energy cost over a long period of time for the end users. So there is really, today, a strong business case to be made to go carbon neutral. So that's why we're very excited at NG to be in that uh, context and that our game, as if I can say it like that, is really to find the partnership approaches that allow us to scale as much as possible our solutions to make the best possible impact. So to make that happen, 
it is about partnerships like this. It's about looking at the two of you across the table, but it's also about making sure that public, private, government, it all works well together. What's been your experience of the conversation so far and where would you like to see it go? So along with those solutions, we are exiting an unprecedented crisis with COVID with still a very high awareness around climate change. So in other words, the crisis didn't prevent us to think long-term into the future. Our corporate clients, they all want to transition actively. Um, their customers, their employees, their stakeholders are also putting them under pressure and to actively um, change their business model. First, in terms of policy, public authorities, the cities have uh, the power to set norms and standards when it comes to energy efficiency. And as Shikhar said, uh, energy efficiency, consuming less power is absolutely essential into the, the fight against climate change. What can be challenging when a private developer like Engie is trying to set up those type of solutions is to manage to put everybody around the table so that we get a common agreement to launch a project. This is where the public authorities have a, have a role to play. So regulation, well-planned, uh, well-staged, can do wonders, and coordination and planning is absolutely essential. Shikhar, I'm sure you've been involved in some really exciting projects with Standard Chartered. Perhaps you want to share your thoughts about some of those. Um, there must be some that you've been involved in and, and thought, you know, this is great. I feel that this is a very purposeful thing to do. I'll pick an example for each of the area that we discussed, maybe starting from district cooling. We advised EMAR Group on sale of 80% of their district cooling portfolio last year and raised a little over 650 million US dollars for them. The reach out to investor was quite critical. Most global investors were not well aware of the technology and how it actually works. The second one would be around mass transport. I would like to talk about a deal that we did in Africa. So in Tanzania, we raised close to one and a half billion dollars for a 550 kilometer rail project from Dar es Salaam to Makutpuram. That project involves a track which will be able to carry about 10,000 tons of freight, which is equivalent to 500 lorries. It connects a lot of major cities en route. Overall, that will reduce freight costs by about 40%. That is going to be so critical for a country like Tanzania and Africa in general, where most economies are still struggling to grow and cope up, especially after COVID. Another example would be on the data center side. So we were the green loan coordinator for Virtus, where we helped them raise a little over 800 million pounds. This was one of the first green data center deal that we did with them. One point I do want to highlight here is that we are still quite far away from reaching our energy transition goals. So if we have to transition the whole emerging market economy by 2060, it's less than 40 years away, we are short of close to $95 trillion in emerging markets. That's a huge number. Where would you like to see more traction in deals like the ones you've just talked about? Because of the quantum that we are talking about, we don't think that emerging markets will actually be able to self-fund this transition. 
if they actually were to try doing it through tax increases, more domestic borrowings, it's likely to have a significant detrimental impact on their domestic economies. It's quite unlikely that they'll actually be able to succeed. And what that would mean is that the global energy transition that we are looking to do and the net zero that we are trying to achieve on a global basis just doesn't happen. So in that case, the only other option that we have left would be funding this through developed markets. This funding can come through grants, capital investments, but it has to be a joint effort between both public and private parties. We've actually published a fairly detailed study on it called Just In Time. The approach is to provide opportunity for private investors to enact a just transition with the help of right policies, regulations, and support of supporting sustainable development overall. If we do this right, we expect the consumption in emerging markets to go up by about 4.5%, overall GDP to grow 3.1% for emerging markets, and also have a positive impact on developed markets and increase their GDP also. Maybe not to the same extent, but of course, it's an overall win-win situation. And we, we will be able to enact the global energy transition that we are all trying to work towards. Yeah, and, and this is the second time we've talked about a win-win situation in the podcast. Thomas, let's go back to this idea, though, the win-win situation. I still feel like there's a lot of work to be done. If we're talking about Asia specifically, obviously you are working with partners, you're working with clients in the region, but by how much would you need to see that work increase to really meet the targets and goals that we need to meet to be on target? IPCC released its latest draft report. There were two very important messages. First, climate change is happening. Second, if we want to remain in a 1.5 degree trajectory, we have to start curving our carbon emission within the next three years. We have three years to start changing our ways of doing business so that the future growth of our economies doesn't come uh, with more carbon. I come again to those solutions that make sense today. Production of energy, harnessing the power for the sun, solar energy. Energy efficient solutions that translates into a saving for the end user. Mobility, switching to electric vehicle, which today allowed to derive a saving when it comes to uh, the usage of the vehicles. All of these are essential transformation to jump on that we collectively uh, have to engage. So at individual level, you know, I preach for uh, all my employees, colleagues and, and clients to start changing their way of living. But when it comes to business, my game is really to work uh, on structuring partnerships that can help provide scale. If you take an example, we've uh, secured an agreement with Logos last year. Logos is a logistic developer. It has a lot of warehouses all across Asia Pacific, a lot of rooftop available. And so the, the agreement consists in deploying solar on all the available surface all across the region. Compounded, the potential is, is huge, it's in hundreds of, of megawatts of solar that can be deployed and that can help save on carbon emission, but as well on deriving economic value proposition. So we have to jump on the bandwagon now and start slashing carbon emission. And it can be good 
for the bottom line of our listeners, of our corporates. So there, there is absolutely no excuse to wait. Yeah, absolutely. It has to become a part of a business's DNA, really, to be more sustainable. I really enjoyed what you said at the individual level, because the planet survives. We don't survive if we continue the way that we are, right? So we do have to change the way that we live. You have sort of answered the question that's in my mind, which is around cost, because I do wonder how much having solar panels on every single flat surface available to you is going to cost an economy that's still developing in a part of Asia. But you have talked previously about the business proposition. That said, it is still a big concern in this part of the world. So how do you answer the detractors? It's a rightful concern. And when we talk to our clients, they have a business to run. So they have capital allocation to make on a daily basis to ensure they continue growing, they continue doing so profitably. And so they, they cannot fight all the fires at the same time. This is why the partnership approach, NG trying to be energy transition enabler, so to speak. So we take care of the energy transition on behalf of our clients. We invest for them. We commit on the outcome that they will reach by using our solution. This type of model is extremely relevant. I'm definitely very encouraged by your words. And they're not words. It's actually, it's action because this is the experience. This is what you're experiencing every day. You're working with partners. You're talking to these businesses. Shikha, one of the things that businesses also need is they need to know that what they're doing is actually working, which means numbers. It means data. How important is it to make sure that we have access to that data? Is technology making it easier? The, you know, this digitalization that happened during the pandemic at an accelerated rate. I'm assuming all of that has been of serious help in making sure that the impact is being made most where it's needed. It's a very fair point, Manisha. And I have to say that we are still lacking in terms of availability of data. That goes two ways because one, a lot of people, companies, they don't measure what we call scope one, scope two, scope three emissions. And if they do, they may not be accurate. Having said that, most companies are working towards a net zero goal or are coming up with their own sustainability reports. And we do expect that there will be a lot more data available within the next couple of years. There are consultants who are able to at least estimate based on a company's profile where their emissions would be landing at. And we can use that to estimate which are the projects we want to work towards. It is critical that data becomes available and is measured on a scale which is the same and consistent across the world so we can compare and also report the results. A lot of it is going to be driven by investors as a lot of them are now starting to ask their investing companies to report this data, to measure this data and make sure it is on the trajectory that is expected. Okay, Shikhar, earlier we talked about some of the deals that Standard Chartered's been involved in. In Asia in particular, is the financing forthcoming to do more of that sort of thing and to do the proactive planning to make this happen, to take advantage of the kind of opportunities that companies like NG have identified? So the answer to that question, Manisha, is partly yes. When we talk about like China, India, there definitely is capital available. Having said that, there are other smaller economies who are still struggling. 
To give you an example, China needs about $35 trillion by 2060 to reach net zero. They can probably self-fund. For India, it is about $12 trillion. They have significant overseas inflows coming into sustainable infrastructure. They also have been able to put frameworks in place which have attracted investors to the country. When we come to Southeast Asia, a lot of the countries are still slightly farther behind in terms of attracting those cash flows. The only way emerging markets can transition is by funding that comes through developed markets. Well, that's a brilliant point for me to put the final question, actually, to Thomas, because it follows on, which is, you know, Shiko is absolutely right. This is something that has to happen on an individual basis. And in fact, it's about our survival. It's existential. What is your big message from all of your experience with NG, with the projects that you're working on? Can you share with us lessons that you've learned and a key message that you want to share with our audience? My key message is a call for action. The technologies that allow to slash our carbon emissions are here. They are mature. They are delivering saving. They are not fully there yet to go to net zero, but they will eventually. So it is time to start implementing them at an individual level, at a corporate level, systematically and as big as possible. So at individual level, we can all jump on electric mobility. We can all reduce the level of uh, meat in our dietary you know, regime. That's not very difficult. We vote. We can make an impact by voting. Uh, at the corporate level, use solar energy when you have some space on your rooftop. Implement energy efficient solutions uh, whenever, wherever you can. It saves energy, it saves on costs, it saves on carbon. Start reporting your data, because against those data, you will be able to measure your change. I'm convinced that by doing so, corporates not only do good for uh, mankind, but they go do good for themselves. They become more uh, attractive, more competitive, and that's a virtuous cycle. It certainly is. What a brilliant place to wrap up, actually. I'm just going to, to rehash a very old proverb, which is... Everyone's sustainability journey starts with a single step, doesn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> Just take a step and then take the next one and the next one and hopefully we'll get there together. Speaking of together, it's been lovely to be in a studio with you both discussing these issues, these really important issues. Uh, and I hope that our audience has really enjoyed it. I hope you've both enjoyed being here. Thomas Bodlo, thank you so much for joining us from Engie. Thank you, Manisha. And Shikar Jain, thank you so much for joining us from Standard Chartered. Thank you for having me. I'm Manisha Tank. As always, it's been an absolute pleasure. Join us again next time for Industries in Transition. Thank you for tuning in to Industries in Transition, brought to you by Standard Chartered. Supporting clients for over 150 years, Standard Chartered empowers businesses and inspires change through ambitious social and environmental initiatives. Standard Chartered, driving commerce and prosperity whilst contributing to sustainable growth across the world's most dynamic markets. <laughs>